Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, has become burdened to share with us about the song Jesus Christ Desires to Discover in His New Testament Church's Heart. Dave invites you to set aside some of your strong views on music itself, to flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, and join together to think about our reasons for singing. What I want you to realize is we talk about music, it's one of the most loaded subjects that I could ever talk to you about. Because it's emotional. We have feelings about it. And most of us aren't realizing that a lot of my likes and my dislikes are very emotive. And what we tend to do within the church scene, what we tend to do within the religious scene, is we tend to get connected what we like to what is right. We tend to connect what we like to what is right and what we can easily do instead of really understanding biblically why we should sing and a reason to sing, we're really thinking very much in terms of what brings good feelings to me. The reason we're going to sing is not just to come together and have nice feelings emotionally or real excited feelings doing some fast-driving rhythmic songs or, or to have some feelings of, like, I don't know, kind of an ethereal softness and gentleness. You see, some of you think it's when it's soft and slow, then it's spiritual. Some of you think that's when you fall asleep. What forms our commitments, what forms our reason for doing things is the Word of God and what God tells us from His Word. And no matter what kind of music we might use, no matter what style we might use, in the plan of God, music is really important. And I'm going to begin today, we're going to use some verses from Ephesians and Colossians as kind of our New Testament foundation. It's going to be the beginning part, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin there, and then we're going to try to open up back in the pages of the Old Testament and try to discern the reasons why God had His people in the Old Testament singing, why He had them meeting together to praise and to thank Him in adoration and love for Him. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's begin with verse 18. It says there, Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery or just living for your senses. Instead, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what is juxtaposed here? The writer here contrasts on this hand, I don't want you to be filled with this, but on this side, I want you to be filled with this. Now, over here, he says, don't be what? Don't be drunk with wine. Now, what is it like to be drunk with wine? When Valentine's, you know, or when the Bud, I have to use, that kind of dates me, Valentine. But when Bud does ads on Sunday afternoon football games, when they do ads, what kind of a picture they try to give you of if you have a Bud Light, what's going to happen in your life? It's about parties, isn't it? And it's about having a good time. And it's about young people getting together. And if you'll listen when you're watching the Cowboy game, you'll find out that they even put the right music. They have a certain style of music to make that happen. What the world system is trying to tell us is that when you get together with your friends and when you spend this time and you've got that ice-cold foaming liquid, that you're going to be full. Your life is going to be rich. Your life is going to be dynamic. Satan tries to contrast that with over here, if you do the church thing, if you do the Jesus thing, if you get close to God, then you're going to leave all of this fun behind. 
You're going to leave all of this fun and celebration behind. And this is really right. Deep in our souls we know over here this church thing and reading the Bible, that's the right thing. But somehow we have a feeling that if I do this right thing, that I'm going to leave all of this gaiety and all this celebration behind. Now Paul is telling us, no, that's not true. Paul is saying, and he almost takes for granted, that every one of our lives need to be full. The, the Lord wants every one of our children to have a life that's full, full of, of joy and full of celebration and full of fun and full of laughter. Full of all that life can bring. Sometimes it's full of tears. And it's filled with just all the reality of, of emotion that we experience. Satan's trying to convince everybody that if you, if you follow this way over here, he'll give you really a good time. But it'll be wrong. In other words, it will be sinful and deep in our soul we know that. And so we think if maybe when I get old, I'll come over here. Paul is saying no. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be filled with this. And then he gives us a really good reason why the drunkenness of the world is not ultimately going to bring real meaning to our life. He says, if you live for the world system, it'll slowly let the air out of your life. It'll be like a balloon that's leaking its gas. And that's why he doesn't want us to get filled with a, with a false spirit of intoxication. But he goes on and says, instead, instead of having that control, instead of having to go to a party where you have to drink, in other words, you go to the party and you feel lousy, and you don't feel like you can get close to anybody, and you're kind of feeling like this, you know, you're all closed in and you're a little bit afraid to talk to somebody, so you go over to the place where they're serving the drinks and you order yourself a drink and you drink one, then you drink another, and suddenly you're able to have the stress drained away, you start feeling like maybe people would like you. In fact, you start looking around and saying, man, I thought all these people hated my guts and they didn't really want to talk to me, but, but now I realize after I've had some of the spirits, man, maybe they're all just really good people. And during that happy stage, some of your inhibitions will be torn down, you'll be able to relax and you'll be able to have a good time. Paul says, though, that the end of that is going to be a bad headache in the morning. Instead, he says, I want you to gather together with a group of people that don't need all the artificial stuff, but as they gather together, their thing, their drink is nothing artificial, but they begin to drink in the Holy Spirit. They begin to open their hearts and they respond to the Spirit of God living within them. Now, what happens when people are not controlled and full of this intoxicating drink, but they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul says. He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 19. You will speak to one another in psalms. And the word psalm would be specifically the 150 psalm that you've got in the Old Testament. And so one of the ways that we can get a handle on the kind of music that God desires is we can open up to the Psalms and we can begin with Psalm 1 and go all the way through the end of Psalms and we can get an idea of the kinds of songs, the kinds of words that God's Old Testament people sang to him. And that might be an interesting thing for some of you that said, man, Dave, I'd like to write songs and I've got some gifts along those lines and I'd like to sing if you, it'd be a great study for you just to read through the Psalms and read the whole gamut of emotions and relationship 
that are brought out in the book of Psalms. So that's one of the things they did. They sang some Psalms. And one of the things we'll do that we study on the music that God's desires, we'll try to look carefully at some of those Psalms to give you a model for how you can study them yourself and get a handle on some of the things that they did in their music, in talking to God about the whole gamut of human experience in their life with God. So one of the things that the early church did was sing psalms. Has anyone been raised in a church tradition where that's what you actually did on Sunday morning? In other words, all you did was sing psalms. Some of you have. There's some old hymn books that are nothing but psalms. You know, really all of you have, but you don't know it. Because an awful lot of the praise choruses, if you'll think about the word, in fact, some of the portions of scripture that we'll look at today, you'll notice and remember the words. And you say, man, where did that come from? And today you'll find out where they came from. It's right in the text of scripture. The second thing, look back at Ephesians, it said the second thing they did was sing to one another in hymns or odes. These hymns, I think we should think of not just the Psalms of David, but throughout the Old Testament, we have times when God's people just get together and they sing a hymn of expressing adoration and praise and their intimate relationship with God. For example, you all here in Midlothian know about hymns, and those of you in Waxahachie, you have your hymn. At the end of a football game, we all sing a hymn. Have you ever noticed that? Now, you probably didn't notice it. But but here in Midlothian, what do we do at the end of a football game, win or lose? The football players go out to the center of the field, and the student body stands up, and they go like this. And what do they do? They sing a hymn. Your school song is a hymn. It's even in the style of a hymn. Now, why do we do that? Because old Midlothian high... It's supposed to be dear to our hearts, right? Or old Waxahachie High or old Cedar Hill or you put your own high school. You sing a hymn because it's supposed to bring you together as a student body and you're supposed to believe in your school. And we call it school spirit. And the hymn is all part of that. If you went to Notre Dame, this tradition... This importance of hymns and and all the tradition that goes with it as a way of expressing your devotion to the school, you would really comprehend it. You would understand it. You say, well, Dave, what does that have to do with when we gather together as a group of believers? One of the things we do is to sing the Psalms, but something else we do is we sing some hymns. And those hymns are songs that communicate our intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus. They communicate our love for him. They're ways for us to say, I love you with all of my heart. They're ways for us to enter into the spirit of being part of the family of God. And that's what a hymn is. A hymn and the Psalms are often directed with this vertical relationship. The first century church, when they gathered together in their groups, often in homes, sometimes in gatherings like at the temple with larger groups, but one of the things they did is as a group of God's children, they would express, they would unite with him in spirit, and they would sing directly to him. Very important thing. In fact, I would say that one of the major changes that's been taken in my life in the musical thing for the last, maybe for the last three or four years, is the reality that it's important not just to sing about God and to sing words that communicate accurate theology to God, but it's important to think of God being someone that's responding to me as I talk to him in music. 
In fact, one of the great things that the whole praise music and the whole worship music in the evangelical church is doing is helping God's people to connect with God and to enter into that spirit when instead of just thinking about whether I like the words, whether I like the music, we're thinking about this is an opportunity for me to talk to God directly and tell him that I love him and tell him that I adore him and tell him that I'm responding to him. And that's what a hymn is all about. It communicates that deep interconnection between myself and the Lord God of heaven and earth. Now, the third kind of song that the early church sang were spiritual songs. And this is a word that would relate to, we could call them testimony songs. And like we sing a song like, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. That is a testimony song. In other words, someone that's singing that song, like the very first time that the author composed that song, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. The very first time they sang it, the author of that song was telling his fellow brothers and sisters his journey of life, his testimony of life. And it's a spiritual way for us to teach one another, a very powerful way. And so we have in the early church, we have this vertical focus on God and then we have this horizontal focus on how we use music to teach one another, which I think is amazing because over in Colossians, if you turn over to the sister passage, Ephesians and Colossians are sister books in the Word of God. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And there we read, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I think that's interesting. One of the things that our gathering together as a group of believers should do is to allow peace to enter into our hearts together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Now look at this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now if I were speaking to a, a normal Bible church family and I said, now the Lord has commanded us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And I said, okay, tell me what we're going to do in this service to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How would you respond? We need to pray. That's one of the things. What else do we need to do? We need to have the teaching of the Word. How many of you come together on Sunday morning because you really want to feed upon the teaching of the Word? A lot of you do. That's a major thing for anyone that goes to a church family that has a Dallas Seminary trained guy. The reason you go there is they open up this book, which is really important, and they teach it to you like I'm doing right now, okay? But I want you to notice what Colossians says. Look at it. Read a little bit further. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you ritually. Now notice what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. You say, see there, Dave? You were right. It's the exposition of the word of God. Notice what it says. As you do what? Sing. That's an incredible thing. The, the book of Colossians says that one of the ways that we allow peace to dwell in our hearts, one of the ways that we allow the Word of God to reside in our hearts richly is as we sing to one another. Notice, he, he, evidently it's the same author, and it is. It's Paul. As we sing what? Psalms, hymns, and 
spiritual testimony songs. As we sing of our vertical relationship with God and we connect with Him relationally and we sing hymns of adoration and expression of love, you might say love songs to God, and then as we sing to one another, telling our ballads. A ballad song is a story song. A ballad is a way that usually you have a guitarist that picks it up and he tells you a story. Garth Brooks is a brilliant ballad singer. He's a brilliant storyteller. Why do you like to to jam Texas Stadium and hear him sing? Because he's a great storyteller to communicate to you, especially if you're in your 30s and 40s, and some of the younger ones like him as well, but he tells your life story. And he does it like a good artist does it in a way that you hear him sing and say, man, I wish I would have said that. That's what I really feel inside. And he's a marvelous storyteller. God is saying, God is saying that among the people of God, there should be those same storytellers. Only they're not just talking about gunfights down in southern Texas on the border between Mexico and Texas. They're telling stories about their journey and their walk and the lessons they've learned about Jesus, okay? You know what's really interesting? My older brother, Don, was commissioned to teach at a seminary. Now, in our evangelical movement, there's, say, four or five, maybe six, you can add some more, major seminaries that train men for the ministry. My older brother, Don, would go in and he would teach your future pastors, your future teacher the Word of God about music, about singing, about God's desire for us to learn to do that. And he taught a whole course on that. In fact, they even flew him in every couple weeks to do this. But they got into a budget crunch. They had to cut some prices. Now, guess what happened? And it's not, you know, this isn't sour grapes, but I want you to understand the way we think in our movement about priorities. This seminary, not Dallas, but another seminary was going to cut prices. And guess what got cut? The worship class. Now, why is that? Because it's very common for us within our movement to not discern the power of music. The reason I'm going to spend some time opening up the Word of God, trying to help you to think together with me about the power of it, is that I believe that music is probably the tool, it's probably the media in order to accomplish the task of speaking to one another and communicating to one another the Word of God. And it's very biblical to do that. And I want you to understand the sadness, because my older brother is right in the middle of the heart of Christian music. And one of his greatest burdens is, we've got tremendously talented composers, tremendously talented musicians, some of the best musicians that have ever lived. But you know what? A whole lot of them have never had someone really open up the truth and the realities of this book and communicate to them the riches and the depth of the knowledge of God. And so often we've got a young believer with tremendous skill and tremendous artistic ability and tremendous communicative ability, but they really haven't ever had someone train them in the Word of God. 
And one of my desires is that maybe the Lord can help us to begin to pray about it. And maybe we can become a community of believers that that will join with churches like ours all across the United States and literally all around the world. Because I believe that the church is becoming very filled with the Spirit. And music right now is becoming very, very important. I think it's an area that we really need to grow in. Because if we don't, we're not going to have all the fullness of what God wants to do. The generation coming up today is just as concerned about what a church family does in their music as they are as what they do in their preaching. Biblically, that's not wrong. But it's important that what we do in both parts of our worship together, and as we mix them together, it's important that all of it be rooted in a true relationship, in an authentic relationship with the living God. And so Paul says that one of the ways that we can let the Word of God dwell in our hearts is to sing to one another in psalms and spiritual songs, singing with gratitude in our hearts to God. There's that vertical dimension again. We sing these psalms and hymns and express these testimonies to one another in an attitude of thanksgiving. Now look at verse 17, because this is a verse that we could use that needs to be the control over all that we do in music. He says this, And whatever you do, whether you beat on a drum, whether you smash a cymbal, and for you that don't like percussion, we're going to look into the Old Testament and find out that you better get used to it because your heavenly daddy really likes percussion. And I'm going to tell you that in just a few minutes. We'll see that, okay? He says he wants whatever we do, whether it's beating a drum or playing a beautiful violin or playing a steel guitar or playing um, a beautiful uh, French horn, he says, whatever you do or singing with, a, with an incredible musical instrument in your throat, in your voice. He says, whatever you do, whether it's in word, whether it's the vocal communication and singing, and I'm applying it to music, although this can be applied all of life, as well as action. The movements of your body, horrors, that's a tough one for us. We're going to be working on that one. Whatever we do, in word and in deed, it says this, that we're to do all of it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I pray that one of the things that will happen, because we've been together today, is that you, every one of you as individuals, would have connected with the living God. That you would have been able to tell him from the very center of your being some moments of Father Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I really love you. I adore you. I'm thankful for you. And you come in from the worries and cares of this life and all the concerns, and you're able to stop in this gathering. And that sweet spirit just permeates our whole group. And we're able just to focus on him and connect with him and genuinely tell him what we believe about him. And there's tremendous power that comes in that. Because that refreshes us and enables us to go out into a dark world and turn on the lights and be able to tell them about the joy that we found. So it's a very, very important thing. Music, according to the New Testament, was one of the most powerful tools that the first century church used in order to be filled with the Spirit, not filled with the spirits of alcohol, but filled with the Holy Spirit, It was one of the most powerful tools that they used to allow the Word of God to be injected into the very center of their being. Dave will be sharing further with us about the reasons we sing next week. 
Some of your church music directors and worship leaders would be strongly encouraged by hearing of the special responsibility they have in God's family. Share this opportunity with them.